welcome to the Good Hard Story Podcast, where we believe that the good story and the hard story can be the exact same story. I'm Katherine Wolf, and I'm a stroke survivor, a speaker, an author, and co-founder of Hope Heals. Tune in here every week for conversations about wholeheartedly living in a good hard story. Join me in this joyful rebellion to the darkness where we discover the treasures hidden in our hurting. Friends, I am so glad that you are here for this conversation today. I am a huge fan of Curtis Chang, and I'm just so delighted to have him with me and with you for these few moments. Welcome, Curtis. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here and uh, love the ministry that you have here and this very special audience you have. So I'm really glad to be here. Oh, well, thank you, Curtis. It is a very special little spot on the internet, I must say. And similarly, um, one of the many, many things that is so awesome about you is your beautiful ministry, Redeeming Babel. I I almost chuckle as I say the name Redeeming Babel because I love it so much. I mean, all, all the things you do and are are so beautiful. It's our attempt to try to help Christians make sense of this world. Oh, yeah. It's an important part of our our calling as Christians uh, of any kind to uh, have Jesus uh, lenses, if you will, on our world, to be able to look at the world in the way that Jesus will look at the world as best as we can adopt that perspective. And so given all that's happening in the world, uh, both politically, culturally, economically, all of that, Redeeming Babel exists to help provide some, at least our best version of those Jesus lenses uh, to, so that we can look at the world with a little more clarity. Not oh. perfect clarity. We never can achieve that, but with better clarity. Mm-hmm. So good. I am a faithful listener to the Good Faith podcast where you and David French, or initially David French, now it's you solo with um, frequent French encounters, founding member French. (laughs) And um, I find it personally so incredibly valuable to peel back all the talk and just hear like, Jesus lens, Jesus truth, and all the madness. So you are truly a part of redeeming the Babel of um, oh, our you. modern thank world. We are we are so blessed um, by your work. I'm so inspired by it. Um, you are an adjunct faculty member at Duke Divinity School and a fellow at Fuller Seminary, a Harvard graduate. You are a smart dude who knows what he's talking about. I am so excited to talk to you about your person, not excited that this has happened to you, but that you have struggled with intense anxiety in your life and written a beautiful book about it. But I, I wanted to begin this interview with talking about Curtis, like, how does it all fit? How does a deep... um desire to present to the world just a different picture of how to view anxiety and all the political, all the theological, all of the fascinating components of what make you who you are. How does it all, where does it all meet? How'd you come up with it all? 
Well, you know, thank you for uh, all the nice things you're saying about Catherine. <laughs> and, you know, among the things you just said was, you know, uh, that I attempt at least to share with my listeners on the Good Faith Podcast and our other Redeeming Babel content, what you call a rational, logical um, view of how scripture should inform how we look at the world. And I, I do try yeah. to be rational, logical, but let's face it, we are human beings that are not just our in our rationality, but we have our emotional reality is also, if you want to call it, we are right brain and left brain. We are emotions right. and rationality. We are feelings as well as thoughts. And so my the book that I wrote, The Anxiety Opportunity, in one sense, is trying to come to terms with this other half of myself, which is not just all logic and rationality, but is uh, emotions and feelings as well. And one of the dominant feelings that has shaped my life is the feeling, the emotion uh, of anxiety. Uh, I have uh, been a lifelong sufferer, in some ways not always realizing it at, at, yeah. at the time, but a lifelong sufferer of anxiety. And sometimes really disabling anxiety. I mean, uh, that it has uh, ended, my, it ended my pastoral career because of a, a very crippling uh sort of episode of a very deep anxiety and has continued to be something that uh, I suffer throughout my life, even even right now, even today. Yeah. And so I, I, this is where I especially appreciate your ministry, Catherine, and your community that um, also carries all sorts of, of experiences and disabilities, whether seen or unseen. Yes. And so mine is, is more in the unseen category in terms of anxiety, but it's part of me. And so I've had to try to make sense of that. Um, and, and one of the things that I've had to try to make sense of is, should I view this as a problem that I'm just trying to get rid of? Um, because that is often how anxiety is positioned, not in the broader culture, but especially in the Christian church, that mm -hmm. it is a sin, or, yeah. or if it's not a sin, it's at least a flaw. Right. Something that shows you don't have enough faith. You're not trusting God enough. That's something that if you just prayed hard enough, uh, that it would go away. And if you think of anxiety in the category of it's part of, it's a human experience that, that can disable us in some ways, mm -hmm. then it would be akin to saying, to your audience, hey, right. you should, if you just prayed hard enough, your physical disabilities would just are just supposed to go away. Yes, we would, exactly. We would, right, and we would we would at most of us would at this point think, oh, you shouldn't say that. That's not right. Um, and I'm trying to actually apply that same thinking into the realm of emotions. Right. Actually, well, I, I should interrupt you to say that yeah. my specific story, which is, you know, one in a billion that this would birth defect, would rupture and cause the stroke, blah, blah, blah. That could lead me to a place of deep isolation. Mm. And yet what I've seen is most personal is most universal. Everybody has something in their story that is suffering. And... Yeah. I call them invisible wheelchairs, similar to anxiety and depression realms, invisible wheelchairs that are in each and every one of our stories. No, I think that's right. I love that term, Catherine. And um, and so I wrote the book, The Anxiety Opportunity, to have, in some ways to, to clarify for myself, but also for the many, many millions, tens of millions of people who also suffer from anxiety, especially Christians who do this, to reframe anxiety from a problem, either a spiritual problem or frankly, even a, a, a uh, mental health problem mm -hmm. that we're supposed to make go away, to eliminate in some way. 
And rather to say, this is part of the human experience. It's part of the human spiritual experience. It's part of the Christian experience um, that actually should be, that's not to deny that it has problematic aspects to it, but to fundamentally reframe it from a problem that we're supposed to eliminate to instead an opportunity that we're supposed to go through. Hmm. And I think when we do that, we actually come closer to the Jesus story because that's actually how Jesus experienced anxiety. Yes. That, that, yes. And, and that may be a surprise to some of your listeners, but I, I try to make this very clear in my own biblical reading uh, in the book that Jesus himself experienced anxiety. That in him, for Jesus to take on the full human experience, hmm. he took on the human experience of anxiety just like he took on the human experience of being disabled. Right. I mean, Jesus was physically disabled Absolutely. on the cross. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely, so, yes. Uh, right. And so in the same way, he also took on the human experience of emotional struggle. Uh, and that, again, people can read my book for, I think, the, the my, my reading for why. I think it's yes. uh, very clear that Jesus experienced anxiety, especially most clearly in the Gethsemane um, uh, stories that all, at least three of the Gospels include. And so that should alert us that anxiety should not be viewed as a sin. It should not even be viewed as a problem to make go away, but rather it is intrinsic to the human experience, hmm. especially to the human spiritual experience. And it is, at the end, best understood as an opportunity for us to actually um, to go through. And so that's, that's really the heart of the message of the anxiety opportunity. Oh, wow. I agree. It's, it's brilliant. Um, you defined anxiety in the book as a fear of potential future loss. Honestly, the irony of anxiety is that no loss is potential. We know that too well. It's all guaranteed, isn't it? Yes. As humans, all loss is 100% certain. We will lose our health one day, all the things. We'll lose it all. The things we value, the people we love, and eventually our own lives. So the question, Curtis, is you make an incredibly poignant statement in the book that total loss is not final loss. So what is the distinction between total loss and final loss, first of all? And how does that give us hope as we deal with fear and loss ourselves? Sure. So uh, this is really important for folks to realize because I think this gets to the spiritual heart of anxiety. So if anxiety is actually the fear of some future loss, and that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. If you think of any anxiety that you're feeling right now, what your mind is going through is, is, is it's getting hijacked into the future and it is in fear of something you may lose in the future. Maybe more of your health or a relationship or economic stability or something. You're afraid of something that's going to, that you think could happen in the future and it involves some loss of something that you value. So that's anxiety. And what that should tell us, that's another underline for why anxiety is unavoidable. Because in reality, uh, as you just laid out, we're all going to die. Yeah. You know, so we're yeah. all going to die, which means any loss that you are sort of afraid of losing, your health, your relationships, your, uh, your economic stability and all that, when you die, you'll lose all of it. So right. in reality, all loss is unavoidable. 
So that's that should tell us why anxiety is a normal part of the human experience because it's the normal reaction we have when we fear loss. All loss is unavoidable. So we're going to live with some anxiety in our life. Now, the key, though, is the level of anxiety we fear. We fear. Because here's the, the trap of anxiety where anxiety turns from something that is just a normal part of human experience to actually a disorder. To And I would distinguish an anxiety normal human condition mm -hmm. from an anxiety disorder, yeah. which is actually something that, you know, becomes really crippling. And in some sense, the, the anxiety disorder is a problem that we should try to address. Yes. Um, and, and so the anxiety disorder is basically what happens when we avoid, try to avoid the unavoidable. So if we are saying, you know, oh, this anxiety feeling is awful. It's wrong. It's a problem. It's a sin. I have to make this feeling go away. What we're really saying is I have to make any possibility of loss go away. Hmm. And that's impossible. So right. really what happens then, and this is when we slide into the anxiety disorder, is we, in our minds, we're trying to make an inevitable loss avoidable. And that's impossible. Hmm. So that's when we start, it starts feeling in our minds for many of us like we're on the hamster wheel. This is when we have thoughts that run over and over and over and over again. We're ruminating. We're, we're, or, or we're doing in some obsessive compulsive behavior even, oh, yeah. or something like that, or we're just trying to engaging in all sorts of avoidance behaviors is in our minds. We're trying to say, I got to get my mind into some way that this feared loss cannot ever happen. And because that doesn't exist, it's impossible. Right. Our minds are caught in a loop. We're caught in, or our mm -hmm. behaviors are caught in a loop. Interesting. We're trapped. And that's when we get we slide into anxiety disorders and our anxiety levels go up. I summarize this by saying anxiety equals loss times avoidance. So anxiety equals loss. That's We're going to have some anxiety because loss is unavoidable. But what raises our anxiety levels to really, really destructive levels is this, this multiplier effect where anxiety right. equals loss times avoidance. It's when we're trying to think our lives are about avoiding loss, that's when our anxiety mm. levels go up. So interesting. I, I'm also a huge advocate for not avoiding the hard things in our lives. I'm reminded in this moment of so much um, thinking, several books I read years ago about the American obsession with avoiding pain, suffering, death, and how ridiculous right. it is because it's all inevitable. Can we learn to stop avoiding and being scared. And I um, I wrote actually in, in a new book I have coming out about the reality that part of beginning to accept your story and thrive in your story is to stop avoiding it, is to face it head on and to live there. Don't live in disbelief, but live in the yeah. reality. Stop avoiding. I think that's so wise. Do you know of the amazing woman, Jeannie Stevens in Chicago, Illinois? She wrote a book called What's Here Now. It's a brilliant book. Hmm. And she writes how to stop rehashing the past and rehearsing the future. To stop rehearsing. The future hasn't happened. Stop rehashing what has and start receiving the present. And all of, of your work reminds me so much of her thinking that, um, Let's start receiving the present as a gift and stop rehearsing what may or may not happen in the future. I'm not familiar with her work, but that's that the same message of 
of drawing us back into the present moment is absolutely a key part of the Jesus-centered mm -hmm. way of dealing with anxiety. Jesus teaches us to, hey, don't worry about tomorrow, like he says in the Sermon on the Mount, be present in today. However, I will say that for Christians, we actually are called, though, to replace our, our anxious fears of loss in the future with a Jesus-centered promise of the future. And this gets back to what you said earlier, Catherine, about the distinction between total loss and final loss. Yes. We as Christians are not exempt from total loss because mm. we're human beings. We are going to die. We're going to experience yes. total loss. The special promise that we are given by Jesus to those of us who put our faith in him is that that, that total loss is not final loss. Mm -hmm. And this gets to the central heart of a Christian approach to anxiety, which is centered on the Jesus promise of resurrection. So the key to thing to understand about the promise of the resurrection, it is not a promise that you will avoid total loss because resurrection is not avoiding death. Resurrection is actually what comes after death. Mm. It's what happens if you are willing to go through loss, including the loss of all losses, which is death, is that on the other side of that, if you go through that door on the other side of that, is the restoration of everything you've lost. So that that that, that total loss, which you will experience, is not final loss because the beautiful, wonderful, amazing promise of the resurrection underlined and proven by Jesus's own resurrection, by the fact that he went through the same path, is that he our losses that we experience in this life will be restored us in the life to come. Mm -hmm. And so that really is the, the heart of, I mean, it, it is true, we need to live in the present. And that helps us from not kind of rehearsing future losses. But let's face it, we still have that prospect of total loss in the future. What do we do with that? And the Christian answer to that is to say, we can have the confidence to go through that because we know that that total loss is not final loss. Amen. Curtis, you offer a lot of practical advice for addressing the physical manifestations of anxious energy. And I would love to hear how might anxiety manifest itself in our thoughts and bodies? And also, can you give us a few data-backed practices to address some of the symptoms of anxiety? Well, one of them, a lot of them, if you're looking for like immediate, as much immediate relief as you can get, um, you know, apart from medication and so forth, which by the way, I am not against medication mm -hmm. uh, in, in any way, but uh, I do think that medication plus some of these practices are really, and the data shows this, uh, are the best ways to actually lower immediate levels of anxiety. And a lot of them have just involved getting present. Um, and uh, so, for instance, in my book, I talk a lot about the, the centering breath, the practice of learning to breathe in a centered way that calls us to the present because breath is a great way in which it, we are rem reminded that to be present here now uh, as we focus on the breath that we are breathing right now. And it's a way to actually remind us that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is with us, in, is with us now. And, and the, when Jesus conveyed the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he did it very mindfully through the sharing of his breath. Read the John passage on this. Is the, and there's something about breath 
and that literally the Holy Spirit is the breath of God, the pneuma. Um, and so this is a, this is a great way that Christians can learn how to practice getting present with Jesus. Um, and uh, my book sort of outlines some very practical ways. Yeah, for that sure. That and, and other ways as well. I, uh, I've heard you share and read in your book about the power of contemplative prayer. And I'd love to have you unpack that one a bit for our listeners because there's so much, so much value in our world today of um, implementing some contemplative anything. But yeah, powerful yeah. truth. So this has been life transforming for me is the practice of contemplative prayer. And it's it's transforming in a number of ways. So one thing is that it's a way to still your mind. Because what contemplative prayer invites you to do is to actually get to a place where you don't have to fill your mind with thoughts. In fact, the whole goal is to just be silent, both verbally, vocally silent, but also mentally silent. And um, the great practitioners, uh, the great tradition of contemplative prayer really has some great wisdom on how to do this. Like, for instance, it teaches you how to observe your thoughts, right? So, because rather than like when you find some anxious thought coming in, rather than fighting it uh, or engaging in it, uh, rather just observing it, like, oh, there it is. I, I see that thought. And something beautiful, really powerful happens when you start observing. Your anxious thoughts is they right. start losing its power right. uh, because you're not hopping onto them, you're not getting carried away by them, and you're also not like afraid of them. Like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't be possibly be thinking about this. You're not rather ju it's a, judging them you're or just, judging them. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's right. That's totally. right. Exactly, or judging. Them. You're just kind of observing them in in non-judgmental uh, grace, and um, and 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 really, if you can get this in this place, contemplative prayer observing them with Jesus at your side. And like, oh, look, Jesus, I, there, there I go again. There my mind goes again. Isn't that interesting? I'm once again rehearsing my fears of my my, my kids and how they're doing and so forth. And mm -hmm. boy, what, that's interesting. Um, so that's one really helpful way. And then the other really helpful way about contemplative prayer is that you're not, you're not, you're just being uh, present in those thoughts and you're not trying to actually, um, like replace them with any other thoughts. Like, so it sort of gets you out of your mind, like getting, and it just gets you into your body, into your breath, into just sheer presence with Jesus and with yourself. Um, and I do think, you're, Catherine, you're absolutely right. I mean, in this world, we are so bombarded with thoughts of our own, but also thoughts of others through social media, uh, through our smartphones, through, uh, you know our our media consumption that it crowds out this this being present with ourselves and being present with God in a deeper way that really can only happen in silence in contemplation and there's just so few moments of silence in our lives i mean i would ask your listeners if they have any um resonance with this experience where you're alone and you have this just feeling of emptiness rising in you and you have this feeling of it, it at the surface can feel like boredom um but then with it comes a certain sense of restlessness and that's when you feel like i gotta pick up the phone and check my social media or i gotta turn on the tv and see what i can stream i gotta fill that feeling of rising restlessness and emptiness and i would invite your listeners when you're feeling that to actually think of that as an invitation from god via the holy spirit present in you saying Hey, can you can you be quiet? Can you be present, even just for ten minutes, and rather than give in to that 
urge to fill that emptiness and see that as the opportunity, see that as the doorway in which God is inviting you into something deeper. And just start by saying, can I do this for 10 minutes? Maybe five minutes of just silence. And again, my book has some practices. There's a lot of out there and other ways that people can practice this, but you will find, I'm confident that if, if you're just willing to not fill that emptiness with distraction, but rather enter it into it. There's just great richness that lies on the other side. Of mm, I'm going to do it when we get off this podcast. So I, I got <laughs> to get some more of that in my life. Listen, Curtis, as a mother of two sons, one of whom is a teenager, I very much loved your insights on anxious parenting. Um, I think I read that the average anxiety level of a teenager today exceeds the average levels of a hospitalized psychiatric patient in the 1950s. That's just baffling. Um, Anxiety is totally pervasive in our world. And um, often anxiety in our children is a reflection of our own anxious inner child. So... Curtis, what do we do? Yeah, well, I, well, first of all, I was to say that uh, there's a lot of factors going into this epidemic rise of teen anxiety. I would say the biggest factor actually is, is the rise of social media combined with smartphones. Uh, Jonathan Haidt is coming out with a book that is, makes this case uh, statistically, analytically, in a very powerful way. Gene uh, Twenge has, has written and researched about this. I think it, the, it's increasingly clear that um, the advent of smartphones and social media has had devastating impact uh, on our teens. And um, that along with growing social isolation, and the, those two are related. Yeah, um, oh, for sure. And so there's that. a lot of factors. I certainly would not say that the main drive of teen anxiety is is parental anxiety. I would say it's, it's the other way around. I would say that as our teens have gotten more mm-hmm. anxious, mm-hmm. that invariably, unavoidably, naturally is going to make a parent more anxious. Oh, I, I, I am have, such a testament to that. Of course. Of course. I, it's unavoidable. I, I, I myself uh, am a testament to that as well. So it's, it's unavoidable. The real question then for parents, uh, well, I, I think one, one thing would be that I think every parent should, especially the younger their children are, be taking active steps to limit uh, exposure and consumption of social media and smartphone usage, I think, and get kids outside, get kids interacting with other kids in person and embodied uh, interactions, um, get them playing more, uh, all that. There's, there's a lot of things parents can do uh, to actually try to lower anxiety in their own kids. And that, a pressing question is, what do we as parents do about the parental anxiety that that triggers? And this is where uh, I, I do write quite a bit in my book about how we as parents can take this as an opportunity for spiritual growth ourselves, that this parental anxiety that we inevitably, naturally will feel, mm. how do we use that as an opportunity for our own spiritual growth? I really love that thought. There are three practices that you outline to increase the capacity to hold loss. And I'm a huge fan. I don't know if you want to go into them, but I just think I desperately want to increase my capacity to hold loss. Yeah. Goodness, don't we yeah. all? And, yeah, um, I'll just, I'll, I, I can quickly outline them. And the book explains these 
in greater detail both their biblical basis as well as some practical steps we can take. But the three, this is what I call holding practices. How do we, as rather than avoiding loss, how do we hold loss? Or another way would be mm -hmm. to actually kind of be able to go through them. Um, <clears throat> because that really can transform our experience of anxiety from avoidance into holding, which which dramatically lowers our anxiety levels. Mm. Um, if we're really, rather than avoiding them, we, we can hold them. And so the three are grieving, prayer, and community. And I'll just say a few words about each one of them. Uh, first of them, grieving. So grieving is simply being allowing ourselves to feel the loss rather than trying to distract it or trying to think some our way out of some experience of loss it's actually just just feeling it just holding it uh, and uh this would be the uh, difference again like i said between going to some social media or some distraction rather than just be have a moment where like oh gosh my, my kid is suffering i i'm gonna just take it from you it's just just to feel that to feel the pain of that to feel the grief of that um and that's okay it's okay to feel that way and so uh grieving is one of them um then the other would be would be prayer uh, is because one of the ways we hold grief, for instance, is we hold it with Jesus. We hold it with Jesus because uh, as the one who has suffered with us and for us, he can grieve with us. And prayer is a, is a way in which we do that. Um, and then the third is community, which is this is a way we do it without not just with Jesus, but with Jesus' people, mm -hmm. with other beings. Yes. We were made to hold loss, not by ourselves, but with others. Mm, uh, preach. And, and yes. <laughs> Big fan. This is where I encourage folks to read the book and read the, you know, my description of the Gethsemane passage, because all three of these grieving prayer and community are embodied by Jesus in Gethsemane as he is about to face his loss of all losses and is experiencing anxiety. He is, you know, read the passage. He's, oh yeah. He is feeling sweating you know, blood, all right? the symptoms yeah. of anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. And what does he want to do? He wants to grieve. He wants to pray. And he wants to do that with his community, with his disciples. And so that's really the the model here for us. That's so beautiful. Wow. Well, okay. So around my house, Curtis, my family and I use conversation cards um, produced by our ministry, Hope Heals. We have these cards that just get you talking about all kinds of things. And I thought, if you don't mind, I would ask you a few questions from a few cards to close our time together. So describe the best party that you've ever been to. Uh, I write, actually write about this in my book. The oh. best party I've ever been to was our 25th anniversary that my wife and I threw. Uh, and it was a just a lovely experience with our family, friends. And it, for me, was a advanced vision of the great party that awaits us all. Mm. The, the scripture talks about as the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen. All of our losses will be restored to us. Absolutely. How many years married are you guys today? We're 29. Congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, final question for you. What would you want people to say about you at your funeral? Oh, my gosh. These are heavy cards. I love them. Sorry. Uh, I... we, we don't have time to play. <laughs> we get to the meat. We want the good stuff. Um, I would say, boy, off the top of my head, that he uh, he 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 signed up for what God had for him. 
Mm. Wow, that is profound. He signed up for what God had for him. Wow, me too. Curtis, listen, we ask one final question of all of our guests on the Good Heart Story podcast. We ask Curtis, what is good in your story today? What is hard in your story today? And how do you live well in the tension of both those truths in your story right now? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that is good in my in my story today is that I have good work uh, that God has given me that I've that I think I've tried to sign up for. Yeah. Uh, um, is, let is me problem. affirm. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 It is good work, and yes, you have signed up, and wow, you amaze. Well, thank you. Uh, I think what's hard is when you do see loved ones suffering, and I do have a lot of uh, suffering around me in my my own family and very good friends um, with things ranging from cancer diagnosis to their own mental health problems to uh, death of loved ones. I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of loss that we're going through. And then you look out in our, in our society and all of the profound losses that are present That's and that we will have. I, I think this 2024 is going to be a year filled with losses. And who knows what this election season will be like, but it's probably going to be filled with I mean, it is, it is definitely going to be filled with loss for everyone. Cause, oh, cause somebody's golly. Gonna lose. Well, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know much about 2024, but I do know I'll be tuning into the Good Faith Podcast looking <laughs> for some important truths to be shared. I try to practice what I preach as best as I can imperfectly, uh, but I try to hold those losses and be willing to feel them, grieve them, go through them with community, go through them in prayer. Um, and hold on to the ultimate hope that we have in the resurrection. Absolutely. The anchor of our souls. I love that. Right. I, uh, I want to grow my capacity to hold hard things. Yeah. That's a beautiful thought. We thought. all do that. Mm. Yeah. Curtis, what a profound gift you've given to me in this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the Good Heart Story podcast. I would love for you to tell these folks where to keep up with you and where to get your book and all the things. Yeah, Yeah, you can go to redeemingbabble.org. That's one word, uh, redeeming, the word redeeming and babble, B-A-B-E-L. Dot com. That's uh, org. Sorry, that's the best place. If you're interested in our uh, in the podcast, go on any of your streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Look up Good Faith, and uh, we'd love to have you subscribe and become a listener along with this great podcast. And then, in particular, uh, oh, and then also, if you're interested in the book that we've been talking about, the Anxiety Opportunity, it's available on Amazon or anywhere else you get your book, uh, the Anxiety Opportunity. Uh, and so, uh, those, the, the redeeming babble, good faith podcast, the book, the anxiety opportunity. I'll say one last thing. Uh, we've been mentioning a lot about the, um, the election and all the losses that we are going to be going through. Uh, if you want to, uh, participate in this project that David French, Russell Moore, and I are launching to help Christians, uh, be able to more healthily engage in politics. Uh, we have a project called the after party and that's, you can find that on after-party.org or, or go to the Redeeming Babble website uh, and find out more about the after party as well. I'm already signed up. I'm I'm a big fan of the after party already. And we're just getting started. I just That's right. I, I think between you, Russell Moore, and David French, I'm in. 
I really, <laughs> really um, resonate with just so many of all of your just thoughtful engagement as Christians of our world and your understanding. So I'm, I'll am i stay tuned to anything you're doing. And I oh, just thank, thank you, you so, much. so much for being on this podcast today. I'm so grateful that you said yes. So glad to be here. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you for joining us on the Good Heart Story podcast. To learn more about what we are doing, follow us on Instagram at Hope Heals. Check out all things Hope Heals at HopeHeals.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this wherever you get podcasts. And please feel free to share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Good Heart Story Podcast is a production of Good Heart Story, LLC. It is produced by Leah Case and Mary Austin Hall. And I am your fearless and fabulous host, Katherine Wolf. Come back and join us every week where we believe that the good story and the hard story can be the very same story. We are with you and for you, friend. 